walking all alone. He is there, no doubt. When the storm around you rages and you're tossed to and fro, you're faced with life's decisions, not sure which way to go. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. When you find your way there, would you please stand with me in reverence of the reading of God's Word? Proverbs chapter 16. Reading beginning in verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. And the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. And everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. 
By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. A man's heart devises his ways, but the Lord directeth his steps. I want to talk to you this morning. We're continuing our series on 3D Christianity. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about career uh, or success, if you will, in the workplace. Uh, this is not meant to be motivational so that you can go out tomorrow and be a better earner. Uh, that's not what this is about. Uh, neither is it meant to be uh, condemnatory because we all live in the area that I'm going to speak on today. And that we're all struggling with the same thing. It's the flesh. And the attitudes are a product of the flesh. So would you pray with me? Ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. And ask him to help you to be obedient to those things which he says. Father, we love you today. We are grateful for this time to be together. Thankful, Lord, for the expression that we have seen already this morning of your presence. God, I pray that as we move through this passage and through these thoughts this morning... And that, Lord, by your blessed Holy Spirit, who is ever-present in the body of believers, you would teach and lead and guide and instruct us, Lord, and then help us, Father, to be obedient to those things which we see. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're coming now to the near, near the end of this series. This has been a lengthy series, I'm aware, and uh, we're going to spend a week or two talking about this concept, the career or the workplace, and then a week or two talking about the church's place and the family, and then we're going to shut down this series and move. Uh, but I, I hope that you won't give up on this concept of 3D Christianity, that idea that our Christianity ought to be expressed and uh, noted in every aspect of our life, and that how we develop our home is very much uh, dependent upon how we see Christ and our relationship with Him. He is the cornerstone of a Christian home, and if He's not the cornerstone of your home, I'm sorry to tell you, you do not have a Christian home. And, and, and we have looked at that from that way up. When we come to this concept of career, career is a tough aspect of Christianity. I know that it probably doesn't feel like a tough aspect, but the reason for that is that many times we're not consulting our Christian beliefs as it is relative to our career. And so it seems like there's no rub. But when you begin consulting your Christian beliefs and comparing that with your career, there becomes a rub uh, in most cases that I'm aware of. I don't believe that the idea or the concept of career is uh, new uh, being difficult. I don't believe that's new, but I do think that it is more noted than in the past. Uh, one of the reasons, and I listed several reasons for you there uh, in your handout, why a career is a difficult subject. One of those reasons is the advent of social media, the oversharing that occurs on social media, and the atmosphere of competition that it creates. And so we're all very aware that what you see on social media is what people want you to see. It is not specifically the truth or the fact as is relative to their life. And so that creates an issue because uh, if everything you see on social media is on the 
the posh and wealthy end of life and you are not on the posh and wealthy end of life, it creates within you a craving or a desire to be. And that is only accomplished uh, legally through career. And so it begins to change the way we see the, 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 the um, importance of our career and the contribution that it makes. I think another area, you couple that with the fact that by and large, and again, we have a generational split here. And so uh, I am of a particular generation and some of you are older and some of you are younger. Uh, and so it is determined by your generation, but by and large, we men are raised and taught that we must, above all else, be good providers. That's what we're taught. You are taught from, if you're like me, uh, from the earliest part of your life, that that is the number one aspect of fatherhood and parenthood for the masculine side, is you must provide. What is rarely taught, however, is the spiritual leadership aspect of your family. And so we're taught that you have to provide and provision is defined by success and success is defined by metrics of possessions as the world shows it or displays it. And so we are always, we commonly say we're not keeping up with the Joneses, but we typically are keeping up with the Joneses because we live in the same neighborhood they live in. And, uh, and so that drives us, and very often uh, what I see being the most difficult part for a husband in a relationship, it was for me, and, and I see it over and over again, is the aspect of, man, look, look, you've got to provide, but you must most importantly be the spiritual leader in your household. That is the design. That is how God intended it to be. And so that spiritual leadership oftentimes takes a back seat to the idea that I'm working doubles and triples and, and every shift I can get trying to provide. And I'm not there spiritually. And so what happens is we have this perfect storm and the culprit oftentimes is career. Likewise, we have a social construct that has been created and that social construct says that you should not mix your religious beliefs with your business practices. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because you've heard this all your life. What are three things you're not supposed to talk about at work? Right? We've been taught that our entire lives. There, it's, it's, it's purported and presented almost like the separation of church and state and it, as, it is as uh, wrongly applied, maybe worse. Oh, look, that's the, don't bring your church in here, buddy. We try to make a profit. Uh, we've all been in that workforce, and we all understand that's how the workforce works. Well, that, the problem is that that, that becomes almost impenetrable. It, where you're thinking, okay, I, I'm, you're, you're duplicitous in the way you are working. Because at work you have a certain conduct that is presented to you as right. And it disagrees with most everything you see on a spiritual side. And one of those places is paying you. 
And so it's almost like a Pavlov's dog. You start ignoring the one that's not paying you. And paying attention to the one that is. And, and that creates this, this argument in your mind. And that's just on the masculine side of the equation. Add in 50 plus years of, of ERA proposals that have sought to erase all of the separation between the genders. Now I'm not talking about true equality. I'm talking about their favorite term, which is equity. And it is sought to remove, there is no difference. That, is, that was the seeking. And so you, you take all of that and you blend it together and you mix in this continuation of inflation in the American dream, which now includes not just a house and a car, but a bigger house, a car for every driver, and some form of recreational lifestyle that is accepted. That's standard. And so you now are chasing this financial beast that seems like endless work and hours of enslavement to a career and two incomes of equal import. And now that home, irrespective of their membership or participation or belonging to a church, is acting exactly like every other home in society. And they're owned by it. Now look, I know that may be a lot of reality and may not be very encouraging, uh, but it is what it is. All you have to do is look at your neighbors and look at yourself and you will, you will see that it is what it is. Well then on the other side of that, from a Christian perspective, we are told in the scriptures that you must work and provide. This is New Testament terminology. The Bible clearly teaches in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, if he won't work, he should not eat. Right? That presents the concept that, hey, i got to work. And we, we should understand the context of that, but at any rate, it presents it. And then uh, Paul says again in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that any man who will not provide for his family has denied the faith and is the equivalent of an infidel. So whose determination of provision are we going by? And at what point in time do we say, look, that's not, that's not provision, that is superfluous, right? That's overdone. Well, I believe the answer for us begins with our definition of success and whether or not we allow success to become an idol in our life. So a couple of quotes here. This is from Tim Keller. It's, it's a quote out of a book called uh, Counterfeit Gods. I'm not endorsing the book. I haven't read the book, so I don't know. I'm not, not endorsing it either. I don't know. But I know this quote is good. More than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God. To be the very best at what you do, to be at the top of the heap, means no one is like you. You are supreme. Now, you may be here this morning. That may sound like uh, Greek to you. It sounds like, yep, that's exactly how I was raised to me. I mean, I have, I've fought that my entire life. I wanted to be the best at whatever I was doing. And I want, not only did I want to be the best, I wanted somebody to tell me that I was. I fought that my entire life. That is just part of who I am. And so I, I know that that is true. Another article that I read in Christianity Today, once again, I'm not endorsing anything, uh, made these comments. This is just excerpts out of what he wrote. For Christians, success can never be measured by money. 
The measurement of success is simply the ratio of talents used to talents received. What are you doing with what you've got? Plus, who are you becoming? Are you growing? And are you a growing and maturing Christian? Whether you work in business or in Christian work as a day laborer, professional, or an academic, if you are a maturing Christian, using a large percentage of your talents, you're successful. Be glad. An unsuccessful person, on the other hand, is one who didn't use the chances he or she had. He could have developed himself. He could have contributed to life. He could have become a mature Christian, but he didn't. The person doing the most with what he's got is truly successful. Those are pretty good looks at success. Pull either this or this down, because one of them's ringing, please. So we have to break away from the definitions and the designs of the world and seek the influence of God and his word. I think that's what Proverbs 16 does. Uh, when I began reading this this week, preparing for this morning, uh, man, there was, there was hours of <laughs> uh, consideration here. Some of the difficulty is in the language of the King James. And I'm going to be real honest about that. If you're reading from an NASB or an uh, ASB or an ESV this morning, the language in that first verse is different. In the King James, it makes it sound like all of the preparations of the heart, th that word is plans, by the way, all of the plans of the heart and all of the language of the mouth come from the Lord. So if you're not careful, you could almost believe that everything I'm doing, God told me to do. And that's not what it says. What it actually says in the original is that plans and preparations of mortals come from, uh, of the heart of mortals come from themselves, but the correct terminology or the end result comes from God. So the, the way you would have heard that in secular language is man proposes and God disposes. It's really clear in verse 9, a man's heart devises his ways, makes plans, but God directeth his steps. And so what Proverbs 16 in these first nine verses especially, what it is really doing is it exalting the idea of the sovereignty of God. It is, it, it is exalting the idea that God is in control. But it is also speaking to us about how we ought to live our lives. And the way that I finally be, began to see it is it is laid out fact, fact, function, fact, fact, function. There's a pattern there. And we see that. And so when we, if we wanted to break it up, uh, for me, I looked at those first three verses. And for me, that shows that God has a pattern for success. There is a pattern that God proposes that will work out to your good and to the benefit of all that are around you. There is a pattern for success. But he gives you a couple of facts to realize first. The first fact is that the plans of your heart are one thing, but the word of God is the right thing. We've also heard this before, uh, you know, um, uh, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction. Very similar concept in this verse. And what we see is that our direction should come from the Lord. If we are dependent upon our heart's desire, or the plans of our heart, or the the uh, devisings of our heart, we will probably be led astray because the Bible presents to us all through the scriptures, and Jeremiah says it specifically, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? 
And so you can't depend on your heart. Do you know the problem with society today and most uh, acceptable religions is that they're telling you you should trust your heart. And you can't trust your heart. Your heart is desperately wicked. Your heart is the seat of carnality. And when he says heart here, we talked about this word a few weeks ago. He's talking about the soul, that inner being of a person. He's talking about that thing, not, not, the, not the organ. He's talking about who you are in your person. And so if, if I, if for me, example, for, for example, for me, if I thrive on accomplishment uh, and acclaim, and the words of acknowledgement from somebody else. Write that down. That's three A's. And that, God did that on his own. Accomplishment and acknowledgement. And if I thrive on that, and so I am continually chasing that in my heart, that could go wrong quickly, couldn't it? Because then uh, people love shock. <laughs> you know, they love to be, you know, blown away or, or whatever. And so I could start seeking that reaction and all of my actions would be wrong because I'm following my heart rather than listening to the word of God. So the heart makes plan, but the, heart's, it, the heart is deceitful. It's undependable. Our dreams and desires are not trustworthy, but the word of God is dependable. And the word tells you that you have that, that the world, excuse me, tells you that you can have all you want and that you can be all you want and that you can become anything you want to be. And then the world simultaneously challenges you to dream big and shoot for the stars. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is that your heart is going to chase that, but that may not be God's plan for you. It is... The, the, the idea is that those things will lead you into failure and ruin. What is true about you, what, that thing that is infinitely true about you is dependent upon your relationship with Almighty God. That is what is true about you. Uh, there, there used to be the, the concept, you know, and I stated this to someone the other day. Uh, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's the slanderer. And so the, the, the statement used to be, uh, when Satan is talking to you about God, he does nothing but lie. But when he goes to talk to God about you, he tells the absolute truth. Because it is as bad as he says it is. And the quicker we comprehend that, the better off we're going to be. What we need to understand is that our direction should come from the Lord. Period. And then second, verse 2 there, he says, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. That's a massive statement. Because what he's saying is that man's, uh, man, a man will always seek, he will always seek to justify himself. The truth here is that man's discernment should come from the Lord as well. You ever, you ever heard the term right fighter? You probably haven't because that's a Dr. Phil term. And so <laughs> anyway, a right fighter is somebody who always fights to be right. Uh, and so how do they do that? Well, they use words like but and because a lot, right? Well, I know what I did was wrong, but this is why I did it. Well, I wouldn't have reacted that way, but 
you did so-and-so. Yes, I know I reacted wrongly. I did so because so-and-so, right? Well, that is, that is because we always, by nature, want to, we want to justify ourselves. We want to justify ourselves, our style, our approach, our vigor, our, our vitriol. If we get angry at somebody, well, I wouldn't have got mad if you wouldn't have done so-and-so. No, that's not particularly true. Uh, you got mad because you wanted to get mad, and they gave you an excuse to get mad. And you reacted on that. And we'll always seek to, to justify that. The attitude, you know, you've got a bad attitude. Well, I know I do, but I work with a bunch of dummies. Well, it doesn't matter. You still have a bad attitude, right? It's your attitude we're talking about, not your atmosphere. We're talking about how you're reacting to it. And, and so we always want to justify ourselves but God that verse says man's ways are always clean in his own eyes but the Lord looks at the spirit or the motivation or the intent of the heart see if we were speaking with the Lord and by the way uh, you can do that <laughs> it's called prayer if we were speaking with the Lord and we threw one of those excuses out he'd throw it right back at us and say no that's not true no, you, you ever get this phone call? I used to get them all the time when I, was, when I owned a business. Hey, boss, I'm running late. Uh, there was a bad accident over here at such and such interchange. No, 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 you're running late because you left too late. Right? No, no, I'd have been on time if it would have been for that accident. Well, if you'd left earlier, you'd been on time anyway. Quit making excuses. I mean, I, it's not like I'm going to fire you for being late. Just tell me you're late, but quit making excuses. But that's what we want to do. We want to justify ourselves. And so here, when he's talking about this, this concept of God having a plan for success, he says God has a, a way for you to be successful, but there's two things you need to know. The first thing is you can't trust your own heart. The second thing is you can't trust your own discernment. And then what does he say as a fact? Well, the fact is verse 3. Commit thy works Unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Once again, thoughts right there can also be uh, interpreted plans. Just depends on how they want to interpret the word. It's there in the Hebrew both ways. But either way, what we understand is that our direction should come from the Lord because we can't trust our own heart. Our discernment should come from the Lord because we can't trust our own mind. And our dedication, devotion, and duty should be unto the Lord. So there's two facts and a function. So if I, am, if I am approaching my career, and I'm approaching the concept of provision for my family, I've got to have a proper definition of success. I have to understand what provision is, and then I need to be approaching my career by knowing that I can't trust myself, I can't judge myself, and I need to commit all of myself unto the Lord and trust His Plans for me. Those are the ones that will come to pass. This idea of commit our work to the Lord. Literally, it means roll. Uh, roll it upon the Lord. Another place I looked talked about the concept of wallowing in. You guys know what, what we say waller. But it's wallow. Uh, 
just like marshmallow is marshmallow. Uh, so well, you don't you understand that? It's talking about that. It's that concept of rolling in or wallowing in the Lord's will for your life, that you find that place and you stay in it. And you are, you are rolling all your plans unto him. You're committing all your works unto him. And when we commit our way or our works to the Lord, we are really literally wallowing in God's will for our life. And we're saying, I'm going to stay right here. This is where I want to be. This is where God wants me, and I want to be where he wants me to be. The Amplified states it this way, which is a paraphrase, but it gives us a little clarity. Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. And so shall your plans be established and succeed. I tell this, uh, I've told this story other times. Early, early in my walk with the Lord, uh, we, we, we had been born again. We had been apart from God for about 10 years. We came back into the, the, the walk of the, of the Lord, and, and immediately God convicted me, and we committed to the work, and we were just going to be good church members. And then shortly thereafter, the Lord called me to preach. And when he called me to preach, I began seeking some educational uh, help, and in the midst of that, I came up with this concept of what I wanted my ministry to look like. I didn't know anything. I was a businessman. I was a mechanic uh, uh, or in the automotive field. And I owned businesses. So I had entrepreneurial thoughts. And I come up with this concept that, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to buy a bunch of property. And I'm going to make a youth camp. And uh, at the time, I was young enough to work with youth. And uh, I thought, that's what I need to do. I had a name. I had some designs, I had some drawings, I had a whole lot of things, I just didn't have uh, the Lord's blessing. And I remember sharing it with a missionary uh, that, that I respected at the time, and uh, he, he could have really just brutalized me that day, but what he said to me was, you know, I know a man that runs a youth camp. Would you like to have lunch with him and ask him some questions? Yeah, absolutely, because I'm about to do this thing, so... I better get with him, find out what I can and can't do, because I'm fitting to make it happen, right? You know, I was ready to go. And so we meet for lunch, and, and that guy as well handled me really well, because I was somewhat, I mean, I was arrogant without meaning to be. I thought I had it figured out. And his suggestion to me was, why don't you come to camp this year? You ever been to a youth camp? I've never even been to a youth camp at that time. I never went to one as a kid. I didn't know anything about it. I, I thought, how hard could it be, Right? <laughs> Have a lake, have a swing, and, and a chapel. And uh, we'll feed them, and, you know, so I said, well, that's a good idea. We'll come to camp. Hardest week of our life. It was horrible. But what happened was uh, I realized, praise the Lord, oh, okay, big boy, you're not ready to run one of these things, but this is a viable ministry. Let's stay involved. We were involved with that ministry for almost, a, a, well, better than a decade. And uh, for, for six or seven of those years, we were the preteen evangelists there. We preached chapel every night to preteens. We were part of the board of directors, part of the finance committee. We were involved in all of that. And, and I was reading one day, and I come across that verse. I know you've read it before. Uh, that verse over there where it says, um, uh, <laughs> what does it say? <laughs> it says something really good. It's in the Bible. And, uh, it talks about uh, how uh, if you cast everything towards the Lord that 
he will bring your plans to fruition. And uh, for years, I thought that meant that uh, God would give me everything I wanted. And what I discovered in the process of working for that camp is that he won't give you everything you want. But if you'll trust him and commit yourself to him, you'll want everything he gives you. And that's what he did for me in that camp. And it helped me by rolling it to him. He helped my will align, my plans align with his will. And he brought that to pass in our life. And tremendous ministry. This concept, and we're, we're going to close right here, so I'll, I'll give you the rest of that outline someday when it matters. This is what you need to know. God has a plan for success. But you cannot trust your own heart. You cannot trust your own discernment. You've got to trust Him with it. And you've got to commit all your work to Him. In order to roll our plans unto God, to commit our works unto God. These things, I think, are necessary. We must be absolutely guided in our career by our Christian principles. And in order for that to occur, we've got to be grounded in the Word of God. We have to be guarded in our walk with God, and we have to be guided by the Holy Spirit of God. We cannot create some separation, imagined or otherwise, between our career and our Christianity. We are either believers or not. You cannot be a believer at church and an agnostic in your career and in your play. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. And if you are a Christian, uh, you are one truly and it ought to impact everything that you do. Would you stand with me this morning? She prepares to play a song of invitation. Of course, the altar's open. If you read on down in this proverb, it talks about how mercy and truth purge iniquity. That's not your mercy and truth. That is the mercy of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, irrespective of everything else that you believe, feel, read, think, all of that matters not if you have never repented of your unbelief, placed all of your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he's accomplished for you and depended upon him for your salvation. That would be your first priority today. Secondly, I would ask you, born-again believers who are striving in career and provision, how do you define success? What is your definition of success? Does it line up with the Word of God? Because if it's driven by anything other than a proper relationship with Christ, it's wrong. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I pray that you'd bless this time of invitation. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us. Strengthen us. Challenge us, Lord. Convict us where necessary. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. The altar's open. Would you come this morning?
thank you so much for being